I am not young. I mean, I ministry almost 40 years now. But I now have a very strong conviction that ministry is about friendship. And I'm always very touched. Uh, and just like Wesley, your, your leaders, members, uh, welcome me and allow me to share from, from the word. It really is very encouraging to me. So thank you for allowing me to be with you on these three nights as we lead up to Good Friday and Easter. Seems like a big investment, three nights, but I pray that as you make the time, God will speak to us. And also a greetings to all those watching at home or wherever you are. The Lord is everywhere and the Lord will touch you where you are as well. Let's pray. Father, you know our lives are often so loud and so busy. We thank you for this week that we slow down and be more centered and be more focused. Remember what happened and indeed to remember how much you loved us. That we will have our faith rejuvenated, fresh faith and courage for our pilgrimage until the day when we see you face to face. Even tonight, O oh Lord, we wait upon you. Lord, you speak to us. I ask this in Jesus' name. There was once a, a group of young adults felt led that to be Christians, uh, we do evangelism, but we also need to take care of the environment. There's a stewardship of environment. So they went to the beach and they cleared up all the rubbish, spent the whole afternoon there, there was a jungle somewhere. And then they came back and reported to their elders that, you know, we, we have uh, done this, we have cleared up the beach, and it's a way that we want to express our discipleship. So one elder stood up and said, Oh, that's well and good, but how many souls did you win today? So they were shocked. They thought be, people would be happy, but there were people who wasn't quite sure of the value of this when all our attention should be on saving souls. Now, I understand where uh, the, the elders are coming from. We are concerned that people are lost without Christ will be lost for eternity. We remember times in church history where the church became concerned for doing good deeds and they didn't do evangelism. So for the most senior members, they, they understand this and they are worried that we might go down that uh, wrong path again. But for the young who are online, who see the needs all over the world, they see climate change, they see that to follow Christ is not just going to heaven when you die. You know? What are we uh, doing for Christ in the present? It's not just you know, when, when you die, because in the old, old days, the evangelism would be, if you die tonight, nah, you know where you go or not. You go outside nah, and suddenly a car, <clears throat> you know where you go. Nah. Then there'll be a picture of a clouds and a white gate. Then below got fire. So you want to escape this, go there. Sign on the dotted line, cosmic life insurance. Sinner's prayer. So the whole focus is on what happens when you die. But in all probability, you won't die that night one. Uh. Probably you live for another 30, 40 years, let's say. But the whole focus has been on what happens when you die and not what you do in the present. But then today, for our young people who are online and who are challenged about the relevance of their faith, 
they wouldn't and they shouldn't say that evangelism is unimportant, but they feel that as followers of Jesus, we also have a responsibility for brokenness in the world today. But already you see this kind of uh, tension between the generations, uh, which can lead to uh, conflict unnecessarily. Also, for example, old and young may have different thoughts about leadership. Uh, for those of us who are older, we respect leaders who have been around uh, a long time. They have earned their dues. They have proven their track record, their faithfulness. But the young are not concerned at all about seniority. They are concerned about ability, capability, you know. But the fellow may be a pastor for 30 years, but his sermons are... Eh, eh, eh. So, it is concerned about how, how well they can do their job. Because this is what they are encountering in the marketplace. Not so much how old you are, what is your track record, but are you able to do the job? Hello? So again, we see it will be clash. Oh, the young don't respect us. Or the, or, or the young think that these guys are still there, but they're not able to do their job. So I would have discussions with my peers and say that this, the young are not completely wrong because the Bible does say we have to serve according to our giftings. Then to the young, I say capability is only one aspect of leadership. There's also the element of character. And character you cannot see in one year or two years, no matter how capable you are. You need time to forge character and see maturity in character emerge. So I'm saying all these things have a lot of dialogue between young and old, young and old, uh, because maybe, Pastor Raymond, it's true, I'm old, but my heart is young. So I, I, I connect with both groups, and I try to build bridges. And In fact, we have a project we just finished, a Generations Project, where we try very hard to help people of different generations understand both themselves and the other generations uh, so that we can uh, better connect with each other. And I think this is the, one of the greatest needs of the church today. That's why, although I was initially surprised that I was told to talk about generations during Holy Week. Generations, Holy Week. I never had this combination before. Maybe Pastor Raymond understands that Holy Week is not just something, some generic, uh, let's come back to God, but let's take seriously one of the pressing issues of the church today is the relationship between the generations. Can I have the slide with the five generations? Uh, There's one slide with the, that shows the different generations. Thank you. So let me just quickly go through this so that I mean, different people may define this slightly differently, but I'm just going to go through this quickly. When you say generations mean what? Huh? So the silent generations were my father's time. They went through World War II. They had a degree of suffering that we would never understand. So I hear my father telling me, or my mother telling me in Hong Kong, I was hiding under the pews when the Japanese bomb. My father will tell me about how he was crushed uh, in, in, in the bombing raid when he was in Penang, but then he was conquered by the Japanese. So Americans came to bomb and he was buried underground, almost died. So all these stories, just a small snippet of how much they suffered. Boomer is my generation. Because after the war was over, people now got time and energy to make babies. So there's a boom, boom of many people. So the, this is a very large generation, until recently overtaken by millennials. But boomers are a very large generation. My generation. And although we didn't go through the war, but a lot of our values are absorbed from my parents. And uh, Gen X is a smaller number. In, in total, the, the whole generation is not very big. 
And we don't often hear about them because they're squeezed between two very loud generations. The boomer, very loud. Millennial, very loud. The Gen X. Many churches actually have lost their Gen X. Uh, and they're very concerned for relationships and things and find that the boomer generation is still very gung-ho about getting things done and all that. And as Gen X, they have a much higher uh, commitment to relationships. So they want to spend more time with their children, for example. Now then they'll encounter things like, you know, their father or their grandfather will say, oh, you know, time, I've got four children and I keep on serving as an elder for years. Now you've got one child, you already complain, tired all the time. So there's this conflict and because they have much higher premium on relationships, they are quiet and they may leave the church. Then the, sorry, the next one will be the millennials, 81 to 96, who are those who are very well defined by internet and globalization. Internet is a big game changer. So they are around when the internet came, and also now they see the world globally now. Last time, uh, you go to Woodland already very far already, uh, you need passport. Uh. This other school, then we're flying all over the world, gap year, whatever. They, they see the world very differently now, globally. And when I do the Generations Project, I want to be clear, I'm not saying who is right and wrong. I'm pointing out why we are different because of the formative experience that shapes us. Then the youngest one will be the... Gen Z or Gen Z, depending English or American, uh, there will be the generation that baby only, uh, born only, eh, eh, already got a handphone already. <laughs> drink, drink milk, watch handphone. So their whole life is defined online through the smartphone, for better or for worse. They are natives. Uh, even millennials are quite adept at the internet, but Gen Z, their life is on this. Ironically, it's a generation that also complains about loneliness. So maybe la, connecting here and connecting face-to-face -face is not the same. I, I don't know. I'm studying. We're still making studies on this. Why, why does Gen Z complain about loneliness? Why you complain about loneliness? You've got 1,000 friends on Insta. What? But maybe connecting online and connecting face-to-face -face is not the same. So these are the five generations. Can we have the slide back again? I want to do a small poll. How many here? And keep it on. How many here? Silent generation. Born 2845. Maybe they're watching from home with a Chinese tea or something, okay? Which is fine. Uh, who are boomer generation? Next. Boomer, show up. Boomer one, show up. With good health care and diet, we're probably going to be around a long time. Whether people, whether people like it or not. No? Last time when they reached 50 something, they really graduated to heaven. We could be here until 80, 90, man. Okay, then the third generation, the Gen X, 65, 80. All right. To make you all feel happy, eh? our studies have shown that organizations led by Gen X are now doing very well. Be <laughs> I think that ups my honorarium by 10%, I hope. Uh, because they are able to build bridges with up and down. They know their parents and grandparents are now to connect up but they are also aware enough of technology to connect down. So they make good leaders. I see a number of churches and parachurch which have now trusted Gen X and they are doing well. Like Wesley. Yeah? <clears throat> then, uh, okay, the Gen Y or the millennials, they don't like to be called Y, so they call millennials. Who, millennials, 81, 96, 81, 96? They're watching this at home, I think. Now, now, Gen Z, 97, 212. Anybody? Gen Z. 
Wow, you come to church on a Monday night, uh, wow, you say, man. <laughs> Your father forced you to come, is it? Your mother forced you to come. What happened? <laughs> but jokes aside, this difference in generations has caused a lot of uh, conflict. Many churches, the young feel that the gender is established by the boomers. And we don't really don't understand us. So many young have left. In fact, we started this project because many churches were losing their young adults. Or the old, maybe they feel that, oh, now uh, I don't know the, how to access technology as much as the young. I don't have a TikTok account. Uh, it's time for the young to take over. So the old now, still hanging around, but we feel useless. I hear silent and older boomer thinking like this. Let the young take over, it's their world now. But isn't, isn't, aren't these two very sad statements? My vision, our vision is the church is a family of all generations that love each other. And I will share a bit more. I'd like to first talk about not just the sociology, history, but about the biblical basis why we must do something about helping the generations understand each other and work together. Unity through empathy. Empathy means I understand where you're coming from. And I may or may not agree, but I know where you're coming from. And I want to love and care for you and allow you to care for me. I hope that is your dream for your church. Not just, oh, it's time for, I hate this pass the baton metaphor. Because pass the baton, no need to run already. But we all need to be there. The work of God needs everyone on deck until the Christ comes back. No one should be like switched off already. Old, young, we need to run for Christ together. But I turn to, to the Church of Corinth because if you think our, ch- our churches are disunited because of generations, uh, the hero, the poster boy for a divided church uh, is the Church of Corinth. Oh, they got, if you're a pastor of Church of Corinth, you've got heart attack. Uh. You've got like Jews against Gentiles. Uh, Jews, we are God's people, people of the book. The, then the Gentiles will be the smart people, Plato, Socrates. Ah, yeah, these Jews are all farmers, fishermen, not so clever ones. And now in the Church of Christ, they are supposed to be brother and sister and wash each other's feet. Ew. <laughs> so there's big division, Jews and Gentiles. Division between rich and poor, which is a perennial division. How come the, 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 the rich have more power, they dictate the agenda? We don't seem to come. So it's true then, maybe true now, to some degree, there's a... Different people got different heroes. Some said, no, we want to follow Paul. No, no, we want to follow Peter, no, the big apostles. Then a third group, I, uh, I'm spirit, more spiritual than all of you. We follow Jesus only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all these divisions, people with different heroes, uh, there are divisions between uh, those who have a very high view of the gift of tongues, so they make everybody speak in tongues, and those who get intimidated by this. Uh, all sorts of things were going on. So maybe their problem wasn't different generations, but there were many struggles with helping, helping people to make bridges between the divisions. And that's why uh, one of the key reasons why Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians is to address all this divisiveness in the church at Corinth. And I think God speaks to him, to us, that unity is key in God's agenda. We cannot take this lightly. It's so serious that Paul had to uh, make this decision. God calls us to unity. This is, don't play play about this. This is not something we should assume. Even if it's the generation's differences or other differences, there's a 
call for unity that Paul talks about. Uh, so in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12, as the body, though one has many parts, but it's all many parts from one body, one body. All baptized by one spirit to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, which is a major division, one body. Slave or free, one body. Given the one spirit to drink. I mean, you must understand Christianity just burst on the scene. They got no Bible, no BSF, what is it? Christianity just burst on the scene, and people need to know what this new faith looks like. Huh? Just came on here, just came on here. New kid on the block. And we are saying that there's only one God. That this one God is able to reconcile men to God. But if there's only one God, then if all you fight, that means you got Jew got one God, the Gentile got another God, man. Does that mean that the slave got one God, the rich got another God, man? In today's world, it means that the millennials have one God and the boomer another God, man. So it's, it, it, it makes nonsense of this claim that there's only one God. If you really believe there's only one God and we want to say this to the world, then if the same God in you, same God in me, but then we are not united and indeed a lot of conflict within the church, we, we, I would say we insult the, the blood of Christ. Eh? God paid this heavy price for us to be united with Him and united with each other, but we don't take unity seriously. So for us, the application is the generations, but the principle being that it is so critical that we reveal unity to the world. And the world is very divided today, right? Maybe partly because of internet. Everybody is gang, that gang. No, it's so divided. I go back to Penang, my hometown. You'll notice that some Penang Hokkien escapes once in a while. I go back to Penang, and the, the church was very divided. When I was a pastor then, in the 70s, they divided over the charismatic issue. Now, no problem already. Oh, I can speak in tongue. So I go back to Penang, they're still divided. So what you're divided about now? Oh, whether we are pro or against Trump. Say, what the? So many problems in Malaysia, you go and get caught up in, hello, for or against Trump. I better don't ask what side you're on. But, uh, no, we don't take unity seriously. And surely God's heart is that whatever generation, there must be this unity in Wesley. People can see this church, one God, Nehemiah, no? one God. In you, in me, in whatever generations, there must be this concern for unity. We cannot just let this unity issue just pass by. Because the easiest thing to do with the generations is to have a silo approach. Or we have a you know, young adult church, or a senior's church, or whatever, and never the twain shall meet. So they all do their own thing. Then once in a while, Bopian have to come together for Christmas service. Bopian, or you know, Easter. So there's no choice there. Otherwise, we do our own thing. And that's not unity, right? That's just like functioning parallel without any real engagement between the generations. I can't see this as God's will. I think that's why God gave your, your pastor this burden because he wants to see you guys, Wesley, revealing the reality that only one God. And therefore, no matter what your background, could be ra racial background, could be socioeconomic background, could be generations, that people see that we are one, we are one, Wesley is one. But the second point that Paul wants to make is God, uh, is a unity that celebrates diversity. Point number two. Unity that celebrates diversity. Because then, he moves on from, from verse 15, now the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, do I not belong to the body? For that reason, stop being part of the body, the ears, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong. If for, for that reason, stop being part of the body. So, if indeed the whole body was just uh, an ear, what would the sense of smell be? And so the point here is that 
Yes, it is a unity, but it's a unity that celebrates diversity. In fact, Paul uses the human body. Oh, finger, different from eye, different from kidney, whatever. So I have vague memories in my first year of dental school, we still did dissection on actual cadavers, bodies. You know? and can, end of the, the year of anatomy, you can see tung, the, the lungs are here, pung, the heart is there, and it's all very different. One, huh? And this difference, God is saying, is how he plans the church to be. That this, this difference is, I have God, if everybody is the same, huh? so much easier to do things. Huh? But you've got these different types of people, you've got different generations, I could help them all decide together. Oh, your headache, God. Why, like that one? Everybody is same, uh, easier to do things. And yet, God is saying through Paul in Corinthians 12 that this diversity of differences is his plan. Therefore, one of the implications is that whatever generation you walk into Wesley and you can say that this church makes sense to me. Whether you're a boomer, millennial, or whatever, you come to church and this, this is my church. Eh? It makes sense to me. It's not a matter of making everybody happy. But yet, the needs of the different generations are very different. And how can we have a ministry? And of course, we only do it perfectly when Christ comes back, but we will try our best that Wesley makes sense to all the generations. So I have young, young working adults coming to me the first year in in the working world, and they have so many challenges following Christ in the working world today. Things that we, at, in our time, never had to face. The internet alone, they get whacked by all sorts of different value systems, and I need help to navigate what it means to follow Christ. I want to follow Christ. I need help to navigate the working world in the marketplace as a young adult, my first, first one, two years out of uni or poly or whatever. But the church doesn't give me any help. All they say is, you pray some more, do quiet time. I need... To, I need much more help than that, but yet when I come to church, I get no help. It's all, the curriculum is all very church-centered. How to, good CG, how to pray, how to share the gospel, uh, this sacred, secular thing. So all the sacred things they teach you. But I, Monday to Friday, I'm in the working world. I need real help how to follow Christ in this world of constantly shifting moral, moral values where I'm badgered and tempted in all sorts of things. How do I follow Christ? Then I would have seniors, we did interview silent as well, silent and older boomers, is it? I now come to church, huh? I don't know what song they're singing nowadays. Huh? You know, and you know, and then so loud and so fast one. Then I could stand for one hour, my, my arthritis, I think, what question I got to say. I got to stand and sing for one hour. What the And then after I scared to sit down, because I sit down, I cannot get up again. So but they all insist I stand up to sing and all sorts of songs. I'm trying my best to follow, but as I get, get older, it's not that easy eh, to learn new things as much as I want to. And, and I, 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 feel, I don't feel I fit in anymore that this is for the young people church now. Because my ability to, kept, to learn new things now is, is, is harder. And even the dependence on technology. There was one church, we had a church camp, and, and they wanted their members to pay for the camp uh, online. So one senior member phoned up the church office it's a miracle we still have landlines. That's a miracle. But one of they said, uh, I want to join the camp. Can you tell me your name? Okay, how do I pay? Huh? You pay now. Huh? I've got to go down to the church right now and pay. Huh? Pay now. Huh? Then later they said that pay later. I get confused now. But pay now. Said, no, no, you must go online and pay now. You feel stupid, right? You feel stupid. And you shouldn't be made to feel stupid. These are people who have served the Lord faithfully for years. And 
It's not, not that, it's like we purposely want to make them uncomfortable. It's not that at all, but that's why empathy means I must understand the world of the different generations, the young person who is desperate for help to follow Christ in the working world, the older person who is now trying to navigate a world which is so tech-dependent. How does our church understand these things and make the church one that people feel that this is still my church? I actually, it sounds very scary. We take it step by step, okay? It's not an overnight become a very good intergenerational church, but as long as we are at least begin to aware of this issue, what would Jesus do when he see the young and the old? And songs is one thing again. I, I, I don't get caught into the new song versus old song debate. Because often I think it's not a matter of old song versus new song. It's a battle between good and bad music. There are good hymns and there are lousy hymns. There are good worship songs and there are lousy worship songs. It's how do we choose the best music from young and old to, to help our people worship together. Again, it's very easy. Oh, this is contemporary worship. Of course, I may have just insulted somebody. This is contemporary worship. This is the traditional worship. And there seems to be an easy way to solve the problem. And I'm telling you that I'm not against age-specific ministries. I'm not against that. But at some point, how do the young and old learn from each other? If they're always just trying to, to help them with their comfort zone only. But the old have riches that the young need to know. Is it true? And the old and, and, and have so much to learn from the young. Is that true? Then, of course, beyond the age-specific ministries, where do we also help everybody feel at home? No. When you go to concerts these days, I don't know whether Methodists are allowed to see concerts, but I went to see Sting the other day. Is that okay? Huh? It's not against the book of discipline or what? No. Okay, uh, I'm not Methodist. Then, you know, Sting said, uh, when they sing all the old songs, everybody sing along. When they sing all the new songs, nobody sing. Because you're all there to hear the old songs. Message in the bottle. So all that. And, uh, it dawned on me that we sing all the old songs because they were part of our life when we grew up. So when an older member sings a hymn, it's not just fighting for a hymn, but it triggers all sorts of faith associations and it strengthens their faith. And for the young, they would have songs that made sense to them when they were, became Christians. And they need to sing these songs because they also, it also triggers off memories of faith. So how do we, not to make everybody happy, but have an approach I'm using songs as one example of any other thing that makes sense to as many people as possible. So that means we think not only of my generation, but also think of other generations. So the greatest danger is we then become selfish and only take care of my generation. Why they don't give this to the old? Huh? Why old people don't have this? I huh? don't have that. Then the young people, why the church never understand me? Huh? So just jaga, just take care of your own generation. But rather... Lord, I know our generation has needs, but how can I work hard to make that generation, my, my father, my mother, uncle, feel at home, or my, my children, my grandchildren, how can I make sure the church really embraces them? A lot of hard work, eh? But it's only possible, as we'll see later, because we love, like, if no love, then why bother, eh? So it's a unity that celebrates diversity. It should be a church where all parties, to some degree, I mean, we cannot do it perfectly, they feel that this is our church, especially it's my church. Eh? I come in and it makes sense to me, whichever generation. In fact, I, I think it's a loving community, it's a family. I, I can't wait to meet up with my family, young or old, whatever age, whatever X, Y, Z, or whatever, you still feel that this is my church. 
my family. Then Paul goes on to make a third point that diversity has one key implication, that we are different because we have different strengths. So it is, it's a unity that leads to the differences, help us to help each other. And each of us, young and old, have different strengths to bring to the table, and together, together we are stronger. It sounds like a national slogan, but stronger together. National Day slogan. Stronger together, really, church. And I would say that the young have much more learned, learned expertise. Because of the internet, the young now know so much. I cannot catch up, really. Cannot. They will know so much more than me. I can't catch up. In the old days, the young will come to the old because we control information. Now they jing, jing, jing. they know more than you and we can never catch up. I'm very aware of this. Whenever I'm preaching, I think they're fact-checking me. This is whether I talk a lot, whether it's true or not. And of course, it gets too boring. This uh, Netflix. No, no, sorry, okay. So the learn have a lot of, young have a lot of learned expertise. And we have to respect that. I, I want to learn from my young friends because they help me understand how the world is like today. In my time, uh, it's not your time now, uh, it's today. Uh, so how do I learn better to navigate life today as an older Christian? But then I think the older people have more lived experience. They've gone through much more in life. Heartache, failure, mistakes. This one, no shortcut to learning one. So older folks have more lived experience, younger folks have more learned expertise, and isn't God's will that we then learn from each other? The young actually are very burdened about making a difference. Older folks, boomer, because influenced by silent generation, our first concern is to be financially stable. Stable first, then we talk about adventure or that, but no, let's get your nest egg, buy a house first, then we talk. And I understand this because my father went through so much disruption and poverty. They want their children not to suffer like that. So they keep pumping us these values. Earn, earn a living, make your financial security first, then we talk about other things. But our children grew up in a time of relative peace, before COVID at least, and they are not obsessed by issues of survival. Then they have more a willingness to experiment, try new things, learn new things, you know, do things like gap year, which... From, for the boomer point, they, huh? One year bochokang, one year no work. Uh. You know how much money you lose or not? What gap year? But they, they are not worried about survival. So they want to know the world because they know the world is big. They are on the internet. They know the world is big. And they want to explore. They don't mind making mistakes because they want to grow in, in experience. They want to grow in experience because they are not just obsessed. Now, who is right and wrong? Nobody is right and wrong. We are all products of the generation that God has put us in. We never choose what generation to be born, man. And so, because of that, we have different lessons for each other. I know many young friends, they are very idealistic to make a difference, but then they will try something very uh, vision, purpose-driven, and they realize that, wow, after one, two months, uh, things still got no headway. Uh, they can get discouraged because they are so wanting to make a difference, so that when the difference doesn't come quickly, they get discouraged. That's where old uncle, or sorry, grandpa, can come and say, well, important things in life usually... Take a bit more time, and Papa is here for you. Let, let's don't give up so fast, okay? Because Daddy went through a lot of hard times, and I realized the most important things in life. Not so fast, leh. I think I really admire that you are wanting to do this. 
And I'm very upset that people call the young people strawberry, mango, but that supposedly uh, very weak, you know, they cannot tahan difficulty. I don't believe this at all. I've seen young people do so much sacrificial things for God. So much. But they must know why. That generation wants to know why. Why am I doing this? And so when they hit situations which are difficult, perplexed, encounter ambiguities, then old, old, older folks, I say old is a bad word, older, older folks, must stand with them and say, no, I, I think what you're doing is important. I know you hit a rough spot, but how can, how can daddy help you? How can an older church member stand with you? You help me to understand this, and I want to help walk with you. So together we serve God. It's not a matter who right, who wrong, or what. So old and young, we have different strengths to give to each other. And that's why I think the enemy would like to keep us divided, I think. Because together we are stronger, and the enemy would like to keep us divided. So unity, diversity, interdependence. We need each other. We need each other. That's why we... Otherwise, this intergenting is a very hard journey to walk, to move towards intergen church, I tell you now. But the reason why we want to do this is because we believe that this is God's will of unity, diversity, interdependence. And the final point, that we can only do this, not only if we know the right theology, sociology, the only way we can do this is in chapter 13, where really it's love that governs us together. Love is patient, love is kind. So you think you're a boomer and you look at a millennial, am I patient with him? Am I kind to him? Am I someone who is not envy? And if you are a Gen Z and you look at the older people, are you patient with us? Are you kind to us? So really, end of the day, it needs a spiritual revival of love. No point knowing all the theology, generations, thing, all that, but if your heart has got no love, and this is Holy Week, it's not just knowing all this theory, but your heart must be transformed. First Corinthians 13. That's why Paul put 12 and 13 side by side because all this inter, interdependent thing, I've got no love, won't work. It needs love. That's why 1 Corinthians 12, 13 side by side. Paul knows unity, diversity, interdependence only works when there's genuine love. Otherwise, it won't work. God, come afresh upon Wesley and break our heart and make us a people of genuine love. You want to pray that kind of prayer? Otherwise, this one won't work. Leh. Can preach the next three nights on generational if no love. The irony in 1 Corinthians 13, I often get asked to preach doing weddings, which is fine, but I have to tell them actually 1 Corinthians 13, nothing to do with weddings. It's got to do with how people in God's family are to treat one another. 1 Corinthians 13, no wedding. Of course, husband and wife, so can learn from this, but really it's a chapter about how you and I, ordinary folks, the body of God, how we are to love each other. Then that will overcome many things, including generational differences, because we really love each other. And John 15, Paul, uh, Jesus says, to love one another is to lay down our lives for each other. Are you willing to lay down your lives for others, from those of other generations? So don't, don't point other people, point yourself. So you're older, are you willing to help the younger? Younger, willing to help the older? How are we loving each other? Because selfishness will kill you. There's no selfishness in love. Lah. So we think not just for myself and my generation, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But we also think, how can I empower other generations with joy to see them flourish? Wow. So this young and old, old and young, eh? both ways. Eh? So this then is what we will explore a bit more in the next two nights. Tonight, tomorrow, we talk a bit about 
The starting point of any relationship on earth often begins with forgiving, forgiving each other. And then on the third night, really, to be truly Christian, we are to sacrificially care for others. So these are all important Christian concepts, but with an eye on the generational issues. So I, I pray that we will really embark on this journey of Wesley becoming more and more an intergenerational church. Not just many generation runnings, silo, but really being a family that God wants us to be there. Huh? I think that will honour him and give a strong signal to a divided world that there really is one God. Lah. Let's pray. Father, I, 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 on one hand, I, I think this message needs to go out. On the other hand, I know it's a tough message. And Lord, may it humble us and bring us to our knees that we will cry, Oh God, fill us again with your Spirit. Manifest the fruit of the Spirit that we can truly love each other of whatever background, of whatever generation, that we can honour God and show the reality of God in our midst. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.